Hello and welcome to episode 2 of How to Fix Magic, brought to you by Team Lotus Box. My name is Anurag Das and today I'm joined by my co-host Zan Syed. Zan, what's up? How's the last week been for you? How you doing? Dude, I'm doing absolutely great. I've been eating veggie sandwiches every single day and playing Magic and TFT all day, every day. Couldn't be better. Yeah, so I know you like recently moved into the LA area and, and like moving cross country. I did it a couple of years ago and it was like extremely, extremely tough. But now that you're here in LA, like wait, veggie sandwiches, is that just like the LA thing to do? Yeah, dude, I got a nutritionist. She just tells me what to eat, what to make for every single meal. And I just listen to her. Hey, all right. So I guess you're going to start hitting up uh, the gyms as soon as they open up. Or we're going to see what six pack abs and Syed just busting out at Grand Prix whenever they start when they come back. Bro, I don't know if you know, I had a six pack in high school. I ran varsity track. I played basketball. I'm not going to go to the gym, but I got a Peloton, which should be here in October. So you'll start seeing the results soon enough. Ooh, okay. All right. All right. I'll remember this in like a month from now. Don't you best believe that I'm going to bring this one back up. But uh, before we begin the podcast don't forget the thesis so today we're talking about again just in general our guideline the competitive scene of magic the gathering is facing a lot of problems nowadays so the goal of this podcast is to help make our voices and your voices heard as we present solutions to what we believe can make magic better today we've got a lot of stuff to talk about but before we begin if you're listening to this episode please please remember this is a combined effort this is us talking to you and you talking to us so we are absolutely interested in hearing what you have to say I want to know what you guys think is being done well in the magic scene right now and what needs improvement. And we can brainstorm ideas together to figure out the best path forward. Tweet us at Team Lotus Box or email us at mtglotusbox at gmail.com. So, Zan, this is the episode two. And one thing that we didn't actually get to for episode one was to just, you know, introduce ourselves to our audience. Just let them know a little bit about who we are, what our motivations are, what we've done, why you should even listen to this podcast to begin with. So let's maybe get started with that. I mean, like, what is your position at Lotus Box anyways? You want to tell me a little bit about yourself, Lotus Box, and just like where you are, how you got here? Yeah, I started Lotus Box four years ago, and I was freshly getting out of college, and I was brainstorming on some ideas on what I should do. And at the time I was doing really well in magic and I wanted it, whatever I did to have magic involved in it. And so at the time there was a huge craze on um, loot boxes. I don't know if you remember, um, what was it called? Crate loot? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And you got like comics or something in it. But yeah, so I wanted to make one of those for magic because I noticed I was spending so much money on sleeves and all of the perishables that come in magic, like life pads and tokens and stuff like that. So my goal was to make a box that you could get for like 10 to $20 and you would end up saving money on all of these products. You just had to buy it more in a bulk and monthly fashion. So that was the initial take. So I figured everything out about that. But then I noticed that nobody will buy from somebody that they don't know. So I decided to make a team of competitors on the SCG tour. And um, and then I started noticing that the team aspect was way more profitable than, than a box could ever be. So my main focus became playing in events and making sure our team dominated. And eventually we made a Patreon, which kind of revolutionized paying for content and magic. That was a help from a lot of past members on Lotus Box. But yeah, now we're here in this weird state where we no longer have GPs or opens, but only online events. So we're just trying to figure out this new world with Wizards of the Coast, who just hasn't been able to bring that same feeling back. 
but I believe they still can in online events. Yeah, so that's really interesting. So you are actually like trying to make a business venture into Magic the Gathering, and then you actually concluded on this amazing team that just like almost entirely crushed the Star City game circuit last year, right? Actually, speaking of which, you've played a number of Grand Prix. You've got a couple top eights under your belt. You had a really, really strong performance in the Star City Games circuit. And that's how you kind of just like defined yourself as an authority in what standard, modern, you know, your team has worked a lot on legacy as well, all the formats of magic. So tell me about that. Just exactly like, what have you done? You know, what are your best accomplishments almost? Yeah, so my magic career really took off in 2015. I top aided back-to-back GPs in Miami, which I top aided with a homebrew. It was like green, red, aggro, splashing white. I can't remember the name of the format, but my deck had um, Chain to the Rocks in it for Siege Rhino and then had Rabble Masters on turn two, which was pretty much unbeatable in that format. Then the next GP, a new set came out and I built like this green, white collected company with Corsair of Crew Fix and Mastery of the, uh, of the Unseen. And yeah, it was just able to outgrind any deck in the format. You had like Den Protector, Death Misraptor, that combo going as well. I lost in the finals in Paris. And then I spent a lot of time grinding GPs, but kept coming up short. Like at 12-3, the next like five out of 10 GPs, it was just ridiculous. So eventually, which was like probably 2017, I switched to SCGs exclusively. And yeah, ever since then, I always finished top eight of, of the ladder every time I played on the SCG tour and in 2019 I finished player of the year and made the first players championship while I was playing on the tour and then proceeded to make top four of the player championship, losing to my own teammate, Edgar Magalhaes. Yeah, that, that's like an incredible list of achievements slash accomplishments. In fact, it's kind of funny because I remember like one of the first times I met you was actually at one of these Star City Games events. I think it was before, you know, like Moxbox had actually even been created. And this was my first standard SCG. This was way back when I actually played standard. So that's how you know it was like a long time ago. And it was my first event. And I remember, I forget what the format was. I was playing some sort of blue-white control deck whatever it was and round one finishes and then you know i see you two seats away from me literally two seats and then we just hit up a conversation out of nowhere and you know this is like sort of snowballed into like this relationship that we have today which is which is kind of crazy if you think about it like it's kind of cool that like all the events back in the day and just like how the gathering is just kind of like an incredible way to to meet people network develop relationships become you know just this is timeless relationship and i'm super happy for it but that event it, it just kind of you know reminds me or makes me think about like like who you are as a player and like the things that you like to do that was maybe one of your first star city games top eights right like you were playing uh i think it was like a lingering souls a four color lingering souls token deck with hunt master and like intangible virtues and some nonsense like that you know like like, like this like crazy to the board mid-range pile that is exactly defined like what kind of magic you like playing Dude, your memory is spot on. Yep, I was playing four color tokens. It was a homebrew. And that was actually my very first SCG open top eight. And like one of my very first opens. I, I think it might've been my second open ever. But yeah, I mean, my creativity has always defined me in magic. And the gathering is what allowed me to create Lotus Box in the first place. Every single person was a person that I had watched them play. And I felt like they had potential, but it was like the coming together of 
the team that would unlock that potential. And so majority of the team, we all had our best results ever while we were on the team, with the exception of probably Dylan Donegan, who had already won an invitational when he was 16 or 15, which is just ridiculous in itself. Yeah, the players on Team Lotus Box are definitely stacked. I mean, not not to toot the horn too hard, but uh, I've got a couple dubs myself, if you will, in my weekly FNMs and uh, one or two events here and there. But it's kind of cool because it's like the way you're making it sound is just like you guys are like the Avengers of like, I don't know, like the Star City Games circuit, just like Magic in general, coming together and becoming like, you know, leaning into each other and growing and developing. And I, I think that that's kind of cool. But yeah, like a little bit about myself too. So I started playing Magic in, oh man, I think it was like 2012 or 13, whenever Ravnica, Return to Ravnica came out. And I started playing uh, Standard. I got hooked because I'd played other card games and like the theory, just like, you know, it was easy to get into Magic. So that's what I was doing. And I slowly transitioned from Modern to Standard, where I went from playing Blue, White, Red, Flash to Malira Pod. And then, you know, I cast my first Brainstorm after watching, you know, just Legacy online. And I was just like, wow, this is just cardboard crack. Like, I, I cannot get enough <laughs> of this. It's it's too much. And after that, it's it, I know it's weird, but I just I haven't looked back. I've played so much Legacy over the past years that, uh, I mean, it's honestly just like essential to my life and just, you know, like the journey along the way was pretty great some of my best friends are you know like the legacy majors that i've played with and stuff like that so yeah they even kick-started like my streaming career is what I, I liked it so much i like talking about it so much that i was like all right let's just go live and then we'll just create like this place where anyone can come in and anyone can talk about like this is what we want to do and this these are the decks we want to play and these are like the it, it's it's always been to me that like legacy is a format with just an insane amount of depth and I really do like that people can like criticize just like the smallest, idiotiest, bittiest of plays or nuances or like, oh, you left up, you know, underground sea instead of volcanic island. Now your opponent knows that you don't have pyroblast and spell pierce and you can't do this or that. And it just snowballs and those sort of like nuanced decisions. And and the thing that I find just the most beautiful about magic, you know, like the, the intellect behind it and stuff like that. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I'm a smart, super smart player or anything like that. My play is like, you know, just whatever. It's fine. But it's really cool to just like talk about these sort of things with other other people especially people who are smarter or just better at the game than you there's so much to learn so yeah definitely my sort of origin story is coming there and I, I think one of the biggest kickstarters for me putting myself out there one of my, my biggest inspirations just like it was awesome to look forward to do you remember like back in the day when star city games was just like doing two opens every weekend there were one day events and it was like standard one day or one week and then the next day it was legacy do you remember that it was like a long time ago yeah yeah, we met at one of those opens. So yeah. those are my favorite events because you got to prepare not only for one format, but for two formats. It felt like such a big deal going to an open because you were like, you had so much preparation. Mm -hmm. Two days events kind of took away from that because if you didn't make day two, a classic didn't feel the same as being able to play. Yeah, I know, right? Open. Like yeah. after every Grand Prix that I play, like if I go like 11-4, 12-3 or whatever it is, the immediate thought after round 15 is just, Oh crap, I just want to get into another Grand Prix right now so I can top eight and just feel the rush of, you know, playing like super high stakes magic. And uh, yeah, I don't know. But transitioning from there is that those two day opens were just incredible for me. And there was like my outlet for for Legacy, just watching the weekend Star City Games events. And when they finally announced that they were transitioning away from Legacy, it was huge for me. Like it was crushing. And that was kind of like one of the kickstarters to figuring out that, okay, look, this is where the Legacy community has to take its fate into its own hand and just move forward and just like, you know, push itself to be what it wants to be without necessarily outside help from Star City Games 
or without necessarily outside uh, help from Wizards of the Coast, which is kind of what the the community has been doing for a long time now. It's and it's it's pretty incredible. But yeah, definitely that's what like kickstarted me to creating or transitioning from just like talking in groups to talking on this large platform that is like Twitch. And that's kind of just where I am at today, right? Like content creation to me is so interesting uh, just because it's you have so much outreach and you just get to connect with people from all over who are passionate about the same things that you are and who really appreciate like oh just like the things that i've been talking about here like all the nuances or just like the wacky things that you can do in magic and legacy and things like that no definitely i've always respected the autonomy that legacy has always had over the other formats and that's why i really enjoyed playing legacy whenever i got the opportunity to and i've always felt like it was one of my strongest formats because there was so much skill involved in casting a brainstorm yeah it's one of the most complex cards the article that got me in was just like the brainstorm article that aj wrote you know just like a long time ago which was like the best brainstorm you cast is the one that you actually never cast you know save it to the last second and i learned so much theory from playing that and uh, it's it's pretty great i I think that just like that's what drives my passion for magic now which is just like the the depth you know just like capturing it all and like with all the new sets that have come out with all the ways that legacy has evolved i feel like it's, it's just been an incredible journey and that's what also just continues to push me forward which is like you know just like what happens tomorrow and the the day after and the journey onwards from there so all right that's that's just like i know it's like a little bit wibbly but that's kind of just like my own personal motivation and like passion and drive for you know being here doing this podcast and then just like it, it, it this is kind of an interesting thought because i feel like this is what has drawn me towards magic and i don't know like living a life without magic at this point just feels like it's crazy to think about you know what i mean and to be completely honest magic today is completely different from what magic was before right and I appreciate that magic is growing and evolving and it's changing and it's adapting with the times, but I do, and I know you think the same way, I do think that magic is missing something, right? Because if you look at the rest of the world, right? Like you look at other games like League of Legends, Counter-Strike, you've got Teamfight Tactics or like Valorant or all these new games that are popping up. You could see how these games are just like, they're they're like rocket shipping forward into whatever unprecedented areas of success and growth and they're defining things. And I feel like Magic is a game with the kind of depth and nuance that it is at par with all of those other games that I'm mentioning right here. So why is it that, you know, in terms of like all the reception, in terms of like all the just like feedback that Magic gets, why isn't it there with all the other great games? You know what I'm saying? You feel the same way? I feel exactly the same way. And I mean, I think step one is that the community and the organizers of Magic need to accept that this is the new world right it really genuinely feels like we're doing everything online as a temporary until things go back to normal and i say back to normal in quotations because i really don't think it's ever going to be exactly the same you know like there's always going to be fear of a pandemic type of event happening again because it's now happened you know like the pandora's box has basically been opened and you know there's no really reversing what's to come and rather than waiting for things to go back while like all of the people who play the game stop playing the game the whole narrative just needs to change like we need to be pushing these online tournaments to become as efficient and enjoyable as 
the real life events. And I think the other games were already in that mode before Corona hit. Magic has just been the one that continues to fail. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many different barriers, right? Like the way tournaments are run, not like they don't feel the greatest. You don't feel the gathering part of it. And also just the structure. They're not like our normal tournaments. And viewership, our game still doesn't have a viewer mode, right? Where players can see both hands. That's something that's essential to coverage. We're finding workarounds rather than being able to display it nicely. Like all of these small details have such a huge effect on the game's success in an online mode, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting because I feel like with all the growth that Magic has seen in the recent while, it, it does feel like, and, and okay, I'm going to be completely honest, right? Like my background, I grew up in like a South Asian household, okay? The bar was always set very, very high. If I wasn't, you know, like an A plus student, it was just not good. Like, you know what I mean? Like applying to the right colleges, getting the best jobs, you know, being the, the best that I could be. That's what my parents like instilled in me as a way to just like live. Right. And I can't help, but look at everything sort of in this lens. So especially when it comes to magic, it's like, all right, I got to keep grinding games so I can be the best miracles player that I can be. Okay. I got to, I got to stream every day so that I can be, make the best content and be the best streamer that, you know, I can possibly be. Or in, in the case of Magic, like when I'm looking at it and reviewing it and thinking about it, it's just like I dropped the hammer. You know what I mean? I set the bar high for a product that has the potential to be there. You know what I mean? Like, do, do you sort of relate with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from. I mean, I also grew up in a South Asian household and I had those same principles instilled in me. It's just that I hate to say this, but the same mistakes are just being made over and over again. Mm -hmm. you, you know? We mentioned this in the last episode, Omnath, will it not be a problem? Well, since last week, Oliver has won a streamer showdown with, with Omnath. And this week I was preparing content for Standard and I decided to try out Oliver's deck. It's so good that there is no other option. You shouldn't be playing any other deck. Omnath is so polarizing and does so much of the bad stuff in play design all in one card. It's like the final boss that happens to have abilities from all the things that you killed already. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like, but the problem is like, it's not the final boss that shows up at the end game. It's the final boss that shows up in like the tutorial level. It's just like, boom. All right. Dropping it on you hot. Like four mana for this card. It feels like this could easily be like a much more expensive spell and still be playable. Okay. So do you remember X-Men? There was like a Wolverine movie where at the end he fought against Deadpool and Deadpool had like everybody's abilities, like all of the mutants abilities. Was this like Wolverine Origins or something though? Like, yeah. I, I remember watching like one of the Deadpool, like the newer Deadpool movies. And that's the one where like in like the ending credit scenes, like Ryan Reynolds goes into the past and actually shoots that Deadpool because he was like, wow, this movie was just like, we'll pretend like it never happened. Just like the Green Lantern movie. I think I, exactly. That the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly the scene I'm talking about. So Omnath has a part of Uro, right? It's like you play a land, you gain life, right? It also deals damage. It also ramps, like, you know, it's like, it has a little bit of wilderness reclamation in there. It cantrips, so it has a little bit of Uro. 
throw in there as wilderness reclamation because you only get that if you played x amount of lands so it's like kind of like how wilderness reclamation only untaps at like on your end step you know like it's just like all of those things combined and on top of it it's blue green red and white it's all of those colors so why make this card you know like colors have never really restricted a card when the man has been so good for so long like i don't even remember the last time like we have decks now that just transcend colors humans transcended colors it just played all the colors because it was free because the mana was just so good so i'm just so confused yeah why keep making a solved puzzle it's kind of interesting because like i feel like this just goes tying back to like just like the way i think right which is like all right look 2019 the general consensus is it was a rough year for magic so you know what it's okay we tried new things we learned something out of it i expect us to now use what we learned to make better stuff right and then the conclusion is omnath right and i feel like no that is not the direction that i expected this to go in right and i crack down on this because i feel like it's our job as the players like when something goes wrong we need to hold those who are liable we need to hold them liable for these mistakes otherwise we're just burning down this incredible game that has the potential for so much more i'm gonna say that again and again and again i'm sure over the podcast but like magic is a wonderful game and this is not the best that it is capable of you know what i mean i'm like there are certain certain things like especially like when i think of like from the legacy perspective like there are certain things that watsi did very very well in 2019 right so i'm talking about cards like um Elvish Reclaimer is an excellent legacy playable card. You know, something like Once Upon a Time, an excellent legacy playable card. Something like Red and Six? Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, like, even the Planeswalkers, Karn, Teferi, Narset? Okay, we're trying something new here, but, like, we didn't have to set the bar so high, did we? Like, that kind of stuff is just kind of, like, where my headspace is at. And I really want to help... Or just to get be heard, like, I want Watsi to know that, hey, look, like, you know, this isn't it. This ain't it, Chief. You gotta do better. You gotta do better. Because that's just, like, it's intrinsic in me to try to be the best that I can be. And I want to see that in... I want to see the best out of everyone else, too, including Wizards and including Magic. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I completely agree with that. This is not us, like, taking shots at Wizards. It's just us being like, why did you hand us a puzzle box which already had the puzzle assembled? right the moment you see the puzzle that's already assembled you're just like like as a kid i would just cry <laughs> oh man you ain't gotta say it like that dude now i feel bad i just feel like uh yeah we just have some got have some respect for the goddamn game you know because it's so good it's just so good that even when it's bad i can't step away from it zed you know what i mean so yeah. at that point it's like we gotta fix it Everything is magnified right now right because even though 2019 was a pretty crazy year for bannings right like more bannings than ever in the history of magic the history of magic versus 2019 2019 had more bans you know so with that being said like the structure of playing in tournaments and the way like the gathering was so good that it covered up those mistakes and our goals like as a team as a professional magic the gathering team became to exploit those mistakes right and we did that effectively i would say we won like over a hundred k worth of winnings with urza every single person on lotus box top aided with urza at some point right and it carried us to the player championship three out of four of the top four of the player championship were lotus box members you know six out of eight lotus box members made the player championship and this race was like the freaking hunger games right we had to play in iqs every weekend it spanned over the course of a year you know it's like a 50k 16 person tournament that's like insane for magic yeah i mean 
I wish I had documented that journey because all of us had to go a little crazy, but it was worth it because magic has always been worth it. But it feels like Wizards is just ignoring the criticisms these days. Yeah. I mean, that's the point that we want to just drive home forward, right? Which is that game's great, but it's not great right now. And we believe it can be great and we want to make it great. You're right. You're right. I want to mention a tweet that I saw from Michael Majors, who is a hometown hero. So I'm from Atlanta. He went to UGA while while he was studying. He hit Plat Pro and he's always someone I, I looked up to and I was like, wow, like he started from the bottom and made it to the top. And then after when he made Plat Pro, he started the GAM podcast with Jerry and Andrew Brown, which I always thought was super impressive and always listened to. And then he started working for Watsi. And I was like, I like liked those steps you know they seemed all natural and for the right reasons and his tweet was let me pull it up real quick yeah i see it, it says that that feel when magic twitter thinks limited for the past year has been gas but play design should all be fired that one yeah that one and like my response to that is that limited is not the only part of magic you know like magic should be viewed as a whole especially the part where it's being pushed to be played right like i probably would play legacy like 2018 legacy was probably the best magic in general i've ever played and if i had a choice of being able to play any magic i would probably play 2018 legacy over any form of magic for the rest of my life but wizards push gets to decide what the player plays if they want to play competitively and so limited is not their focus i would say like limited is a classic in terms of looking at it from an open and classic perspective it's the robin of the batman and robin you know constructed is what carries the game so it should be looked at in both directions and i honestly don't understand how like omnath is like good for limited you know what i mean it's like a four color uncastable card but if your opponent does manage to cast the card then you got exodia yeah, so I, I mean, that kind of, in my mind, is just like, I hope that clarifies to you, the listener, just like where my headspace is at, what I think, what is the goal of this podcast, what is my inspiration, what do I want... What do I want you guys to feel? How do I get you guys to feel the way, the same way that I do, right? And I think Zan shares a lot with that, too, so... I'm kind of just hoping that that in terms of, you know, explaining who we are, what our agenda is, what we want out of the game, what we want out of the, just like the future of Magic in general. I hope that sort of explains some stuff to you. And the rest of the, the podcast, I want to talk about some other stuff that we've got going on, just some other ideas, right? Because at the end of the day, if our goal is to make Magic, you know, a top tier, like I want to go to Twitch and I want to see in the most played categories, I want to see Magic rank one, you know? And right now, like, I mean, Zen, you've got some numbers, right? So let, let's just, let, we'll, we'll slowly go into the second topic here. So recently Zendikar Rising came out, right? Like a, over a week ago, we already seen kind of the impact of it, which is Omnath is sort of just like terrifying. And it's to the point where I think Watsi said that they were closely monitoring things and that there would be announcement coming very soon. But talk to me about this, the numbers that we're seeing behind the game, right? So Zen, I know you've spent a lot of time looking at like magic from the perspective of an esports, right? And so one thing that's really important here is is what is the audience engagement with other games and how does magic compare in terms of uh, just engagement between its audience as opposed to like other games and their audiences? Well, I mean, viewership has been not great for a new set coming out. I mean, like comparatively, like 
at the same time i've been playing a lot of tft and they just had a new set release so there's been many times where i go on twitch and i'm just like oh let me check out the viewership and the magic viewership is like 10k and the tft viewership is like 30k you know like i've definitely seen an increase of when it was the prior set to the new set for magic you know there should be an inflation right like there's no paper tournaments going on there's no pre-releases in paper so the question we have to ask is like how much of the audience that you used to have at fnms are now playing in your online pre-release events and like this data is not public. Wizards doesn't make it public, but based on the viewership, it doesn't look like they're even getting 50% of their audience from these pre-releases. And that to me scares me, right? As a person who's invested a lot of his 20s and just like professional career to magic, making it as an esport, like I'm scared, you know? Yeah. I mean, what's, what's kind of interesting is like, Hearthstone is like probably one of the competitors to Magic, especially now that Magic has, you know, introduced Arena, there is an online platform for this. And what's really surprising to me is that like even with the set release, you know, Magic has about what 10, 15,000 will ballpark it here. Hearthstone has like 20 to 25,000 and this is without a set release, right? This is just like stock. This is, you know, people playing Hearthstone just day in day out, the daily grind kind of thing. And that's where the bells really get ringing for me you know what i'm saying so magic is actually older than tft it's older than hearthstone it really did have a lot of time to sort of put itself out there you know take ownership of the online engagement and things like that and obviously like you know it was only recently that magic actually started doing this stuff so i can understand why maybe it's a little bit behind the eight ball but it's kind of crazy just like with all this time how could we do a better job or why are we only at you know 10k when Hearthstone is sitting, you know, at so much higher of a number or something like that. Yeah, I mean, shouldn't be like this, right? Hearthstone has always been all online based. So their numbers should be the same or slightly risen because Twitch's overall viewership has increased by like probably like 30% because of Corona. But Magic, you know, it was very divided. There's a lot more people playing paper Magic. So having that paper audience coming online should be inflating our numbers more than other games. And to see a dip is scary. Scary, you know just even looking at the last mythic invitational i wasn't too happy with the numbers i tuned in on some random times and they were floating somewhere around 10k you know like if you just go back to last year just looking at the mythic invitational where uh Mangucci won that the very first one that one you know was like a million dollar prize pool it had like 100k people watching it you know Magic is one of the oldest games and it has inspired a lot of these other games. It should be reigning as one of the top games. Yeah, I totally understand yeah. that. So maybe I'm going to pick your brain here, Zan, a little bit. I want to figure out some of these things. So my first question is, is like you, you're mentioning like the height of viewership. The height of viewership uh, was the first Mythic Invitational where when Minguchi literally won a quarter of a million dollars. What did first place get for the Mythic Invitational, like this past Mythic Invitational, the historic event? Was it like 10K? Okay, yeah. So already off the bat, you could definitely see how there's like, just like the gravity of the situation has like tanked, you know what I mean? And I feel like when the stakes are higher, when the stakes are so high that your stomach starts turning, that's when you capture the viewer's audience, right? That's when it's like, right, I've, I've hooked you in, 
And now you want to know what happens, right? So what, what are some of the other reasons that you think that the Magic viewership is just like lower than, let's say, the counterpart TFT? So both games had a set released recently. I want to know why Magic isn't seeing the same numbers that TFT is. What is the number one thing that just like shouts out to you for this happening, these numbers? Well, I mean, just as a player and as someone who's not streaming Magic currently, it feels like it's a slap in our face. I hate to say this. so Like, I've said this like so many times. <laughs> like, Omnath just feels like a slap in the face, right? Like, these mistakes, they feel so bad that, like, people are just so sick of it. You know, like, I really feel like this is the last drop for so many people. Another unfunctional standard. Player confidence is at an all-time low, and it's really starting to show in viewership. Mm. So you're saying that the new set is basically just more of exactly what we've had, just like this like Simic rampy life gain mid-rangey nonsense. It's just like a bunch of overpowered cards that are clearly like defining the format and just generating like uninteresting metagames and gameplay and things like that. Exactly. But I think, you know, what we should talk about now is like, this. Is, these are the mistakes that they're making, but let's talk about the solution. We know what they should be doing because the other games are doing this, right? Like public beta testing. That's what we need. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of an interesting take. I was just about to ask you for your opinion, too. When you say public beta testing, can you just, like, clarify, like, what exactly do you mean? Okay, so what if a group of players who were properly motivated to build the best decks that they possibly could build against each other were able to test the format before it came out? You know, like we know that this is a concept that has existed before, but has it been large enough? And like, why wasn't it effective? Is it happening now? And if so, why have those people not been let go or not been able to pick out cards like Oko or Urza or Emery, right? You know, like these are cards that didn't take myself or my peers a long time to completely wreck the meta you know like urza just ravished it it felt like an 85 win percentage which is like not even a magic number you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah, like yeah. we played in an open and six of us played it four of us made top eight and three of us made top four you know like those numbers shouldn't exist like literally type in seg atlanta 2019 and you can see an interview that i did with seg telling Nick Miller that this is the best deck by far that I've ever brought to a tournament. And afterwards, he leaned over and asked me if I was over-exaggerating. And I was like, yeah, just, just watch, you know? And then there was five Urza decks in top eight. You know, we ended up losing in the finals, but that was one of our patrons that asked us how to build a shadow deck that could beat Urza. So Dylan made him a shadow deck that could beat our Urza deck. So he ended up beating me and Collins in the finals. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I mean, like, this is an important point, right? One thing I want to drive home is that we can learn from other esports games and see how they solve these sort of problems, right? So if I take a look at like TFT or Hearthstone, right? These are actually just online exclusive games. Now, remember, like Magic, we've always We've always had paper magic and it's going to be an integral part to the history, the future of magic, even the now of magic. And we lose out on something by having these paper cards, which is like just the ability to make like what's the easiest way to explain this like patches patches is exactly what right so in like tft or hearthstone right let's say you print a busted card in hearthstone you can mod the back end you can change like one or two lines of code to change one number in the back end and then boom 
suddenly it's nerfed, it's fixed, it's healthy, it's good. TFT, I'm sure you can change like damage ratios or like, you know, cost frequencies or things like that. Like, I, admittedly, I don't play too much TFT. I'm going to learn it, I promise. But there are numbers that you can tweak in the database to like patch and tune and do all these sort of things. But how do you do that in Magic when like you, you print a physical card that literally says, hey, this is what this is going to do and it will forever do that, right? You can't just like retcon like 10,000 copies of Undergrounds here or whatever it is to make a, a you know, a more balanced version. That just doesn't work in Magic because people spend money on these things and it's just, it's impossible. But Well, it is a little complicated because you're right. These games have an advantage. They have an advantage in the sense that they don't make a paper version so they can fix their mistakes essentially. And with TFT, every two weeks, they just on purpose change up things even if things were things didn't need to be changed just to make the game fresh and for it to remain a puzzle so you never get bored of the same set because people are constantly adjusting to the changes that they make so at every given point you get to feel like a certain strategy is good you know like for example in magic vampires or like elementals are a good indicator like that never got to see play in in the format because they were not powerful enough and like the shift never really ended up happening so like for magic there needs to be a testing process that's continuously going on before they issue the the cards to be printed and the testing team should be just as important as the R&D team. They just need to check and balance each other. If they don't do that, then magic is going to continuously fall behind because it's going to keep making these mistakes and all of these other games are going to start looking better because they're online only and they can fix their mistakes, whereas magic can't. Yeah, so. uh, that's, kind of, that's kind of an interesting takeaway, which is like other games can afford the luxury of making mistakes because they can, you know, retcon and change things. Whereas Magic is once it's done, it's done and it's very hard to undo this outside of bans and bans are just not a good look, right? So I definitely do understand where you're coming from. And the more I think about it, right, the idea of a public beta testing environment seems really interesting to me because, I mean, it, it's kind of brilliant just in the sense that you get to crowdsource a lot of this testing that's going on to make sure that, you know, any like alarming mistakes, like let's we'll say like, like Felidar, guardian or whatever the cat is right like that sort of stuff like should not happen right and you being being able to catch it before things actually come to print before things actually get distribu distributed at like a, a massive level is i think that's huge i think that's really awesome and you know it's what's interesting to me too is that like this is something that watsi can capitalize on in many ways right like i know i know you were mentioning to me like a while ago that like what if this is something that you could just like televised right like have like a like a closed beta period where certain people can get access to it with the new cards and then they can literally act as marketing team or whatever to show like all right i'm gonna try this new card and see how good this is like the like the new omnath for four mana right maybe it's really busted and then people will play for like a week or something and they'll just be like pulling their hair out of their head be like no watsi don't do this we can't afford to have this and with that sort of exposure watsi would be able to see like okay look maybe our rnd team actually missed something here it's good to have this second safety net of players that will be able to catch these you know i'm pretty sure watsi is a smart company i'm pretty sure they have like a layer of consultants that they've hired or something like that but what's clearly happening is that it's just not enough and i think having like this more open environment with more people who can access this. I'm not talking like, you know, just like five or 10 people to come sit and, you know, you know, drink beers and play magic. I mean, I mean, like, let's say, let's get hundreds of people in on this thing. You know what I mean? Just like hundreds of people to like 
grind ladder with uh, this in like a in like a PBE environment. Um, I guess that's redundant, but you get what I'm saying. Like, just get yeah. people to grind games out, and then let them do the work for for Watsi. The Watsi can look at the data, say, okay, maybe this is a bit too good. This is a bit too good. This is a bit too good. Exactly. The first thing I want to say is like they have a like public testing period where people get access to cards. They've had that on Moto before. But the thing is that they could never change a card, right? Because cards have already been sent to print. So the main difference between what they had and what they're doing now is the fact that we would want it to be able to impact what cards that they're about to print. Number two is something that Wizards has always kept a secret that I don't think should be a secret and would sell as viewership and people would be more interested in the game is the fact that people get to take part in what's allowed and what's not allowed in the game because that would be crazy for magic viewership the game would just blow up right like can you imagine wizards saying look we've made so many mistakes in the past we're gonna open this up and we're only going to allow the top mythic finishers on arena for x amount of months to be part of that testing team and then those things are streamed you know to content producers magic's numbers would go up and i think magic would stabilize and it would become a better game because if the community wasn't able to detect these mistakes then it's the community's fault you know rather yeah, than yeah. all on r&d but at least there's like like agency in that you know what i'm saying like at least like you can go you can test and if you miss it sure then it's on you right but right, the way things are right now it's like watsi will push something out and then like if they miss something, like, I, I literally, there's nothing I can do about it. And now, for the rest of, like, time and eternity, I have to deal with Karn the Great Creator ruining my format. And uh, you, you, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, this is the kind of stuff that I'm just talking about. Um, I'm going to go a little bit off the script here, Zen, because I want to ask you a dangerous question. You ready for it? Uh, yeah. Okay, so let's say we do this. I'm going to play devil's advocate. Don't the formats just get solved faster? What, where is the experience of, like, solving the format for, like, the people that don't get access to this sort of, like, closed environment? What do you, what do you think about that? So what would happen is, let's say that this PBE is happening, right? And we get all of the data. Then Wizards would go back, take that data, and try to adjust with that data, and then release the cards. So the cards that you would be getting would be the adjusted cards, right? So essentially, they would balance everything out, and you would have to refigure out and reevaluate your thought processes on certain cards. Like, for example, let's say Omnath was in this PBE testing environment, right? Like, we've used Omnath as an example a lot because of how horrendous the card is. We do this testing process, everybody screams, Omnath is a mistake. They take it back and then they come back and they add another mana source to it. So, you have to now reevaluate that card and see is it worth paying that extra mana? So I don't think it would essentially be a solved puzzle. It would just be closer to a playable format rather than us getting an essay that has a handful of mistakes already. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I want closer to a finished product. I would like to see a card that doesn't get banned, right? Like this affects so many parts of magic. There's a magic economy that's at stake. Right? Like I feel scared buying mythics these days because they're going to get banned and they're going to lose all their value. It's not like... Wiz like wizards is a bank that reimburses you for all the money you lost right like just think about how much money i lost buying okos right i bought like yeah. nine okos hmm. right i needed to i i have a professional magic team you know and that's a card that's impossible to borrow because everyone's playing it in every format yeah I feel like the one downside is it's just like Watsi would be like, you know, you know, we can't do this because 
production time takes too long and there's just too much of a gap between when we finalize cards out of the PBE and then like when players would actually get their hands on cards and it just doesn't it doesn't sell well or things like that you know what I mean like I feel like they would say that well there's so many things that have been proven wrong time and time again so when I first started playing magic I felt like there was a huge barrier between the pro and the average player right like I would go to these SEGs and they would have their little clicks and they wouldn't talk to normal folk like myself and that really bummed me out because I was trying to get better and just have a normal conversation. So one of my goals was when I started playing on the SCG tour, doing well, creating my own team, that anybody that walked to us, we would welcome them with open arms, you know, and try to make as many friends as possible. We literally, at every invitational, we would have a party, right? We would have a house party at our Airbnb. Yeah, it, we got in trouble once, but people went, <laughs> people got, people went to ham, but we invited anybody and everybody, you know, like we didn't want to, yeah, dude, the parties were legendary, but yeah, but we didn't ha want to have the same barriers that I felt like I experienced, you know, like these are the changes that when I finally felt like I was in the hot seat, that I had the power to change. And I felt like the pros, when they used to like write on SEG or write on Channel Fireball, they used to hide what the actual good tech was for their tournament, right? Because they would be losing tournament equity if they're spilling all of the beans. So there was a lot of secrecy among the pros, right? But, you know, Lotus Box, we started a Patreon and literally started selling what the right answer was to everybody and what we noticed was even if we played against the mirror match we were still better players so we could still beat our own deck like for example the invitational we had so many patrons there was a subcategory for the meta game breakdown which was called like the lotus box urza deck you know like that's how much we impacted the meta for such a large tournament but i felt like we break down that barrier that secrecy is a better way to get to the best deck. And I'm telling you right now, a hundred, a thousand people working on your deck, you get a much better result. That's why it's so hard to build a deck that beats the best deck because, you know, a thousand people are testing it and you're looking at goldfish's result of people slowly changing one card at a time. And you're like starting fresh, trying to build a strategy that's beating something that's been so finely tuned. Like a perfect example of that is like Abzan Siege right now. Every card was well thought out. You know, like we were down to like, is it two Elspeth? Is it three Elspeth? You know, like every single slot was maximized. So the same way we want to apply like this crazy workforce in the actual testing part of um, before these cards come out, because that amount of people working on something is only going to yield good results and better for the game. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. hundred percent sure. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I, I, I really do think that that is like a way to just like lift the magic community in general too. I think like giving access to everyone to that layer uh, is, is pretty powerful. It almost sounds a little bit dangerous to me. Just like, like, wow, wow. What would the world be like if this is what it was like? You know what I mean? And I, I definitely understand what you mean, right? With like the whole boundaries and things like that. It's also just like really hard. Sometimes like you watch people play on the pro tour and you're like wow what i would give to think the way like reed duke or lsv things right and and it's kind of cool that like you know you've got this setup where like you talk to people about this one-on-one -on -one. you teach them like yeah well this is what i do and this is how i do it and you will literally hear every single thought that crosses my mind and maybe you can learn to generate conclusions the same way i do or you just you know start thinking of like maybe evaluate your own way which is an even more powerful tool so 
Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting. I think one thing that I want to like also think about is just like, you know, given the whole process about this, you mentioned this, right? So when we're talking about like secrecy and like data obfuscation and stuff like that, I feel like part of the process is that there needs to be a lot more transparency in terms of like progression and development of just like cards and things like that. Or just like in general, just like, I feel like transparency is kind of a good thing. I mean, maybe not too much transparency, but like just the right amount. You know what I mean? Like the Goldilocks yeah. amount. And I don't know how Watsy is supposed to solve that. I, I don't know what our expectations should be of it, but I do think that transparency is actually like a pretty, pretty good thing, right? So like one thing that I, even if it's just like transparent, just in the sense like, you know, there's a lot of like user engagement with the, uh, you know, like esports team and like just like people who stream their content for them. Like that's something that I think is also kind of cool. It's just like, hey, we're checking in on you. How, how are you doing kind of deal? Like here's a, here's a raid of, you know, however many people are like, you know, congrats thanks for you know streaming arena for a whole year like have a couple subs for the community like that it, it transcends just like the the gameplay itself but also just like keeping track of like like hey we're we're watching you do this and we really appreciate this and you know i hope you hear that we see you and that you know your voice is being heard that kind of deal. i think that all that stuff is like very very important and i think it's going to be instrumental in just like future development and stuff like that definitely i mean you see it in tft right so there's this character in tft named mort dog he's actually not a character he's just the, the the lead designer for tft but whenever anything goes wrong in your game like you get bad variants you you just have bad luck you just like call it getting mort dog like why are you doing this to me like like as if mort dog is a god right and you would think that like that's like kind of weird but it's actually great because it shows that like the game designer cares about the game because he interacts with the people who are essentially advertising his game or the game that he's helped build so far and yeah. yeah i mean if wizards of the coast comes into random people's streams and helps generate reason for people to keep streaming with actual things that help the streamer which is like subs can you imagine if wizards came into like random people's streams and started giving away subs people would just be incentivized to stream so much more than they already are you know oh what I mean? my like, god coke gaming i can't believe it you know what i mean like that kind of thing right like just like like a hype machine generate excitement that kind of thing right and i gotta wonder how they're doing it right now and whether or not they could be doing yeah, more i mean right now they're essentially doing nothing you know what i mean and wizards is supposed to be like like i don't have to say anything more it's the company that's been bringing us magic right like either you're you're apple right and you're in secrecy the whole year and then you come out with a new iphone and it's the next big thing right and you just continue to bring out bangers after bangers right this is not like a hundred percent precise but a generalization but if Magic was doing that, every set is just a banger and it's just starting to get better and better, then nobody would be asking these questions like, please be more transparent with, with your game so we can actually play it. You know what I mean? Like, that's the reason why we're asking for changes, because whatever you're doing hasn't worked in, a, in at least two years. Right. And it's only your player confidence over the many years that you guys have been around that is holding people here right now. Right? Like this game came out before I was born. I was born in 1992. This game came out in 91, right? Or somewhere around that time. One of those uh, years. I yeah. Like, come on, your player confidence is high, but it's not forever, you know? Yeah. Can't take it for granted. Exactly. So, so I guess, like, as we wrap up, here's, here's the final thing, right? So, we've had a lot of thoughts, right? So, we, we started this podcast by talking about 
Who is who is Zan? Who is Anurag? Why are they doing this? What do they have to say? What is their incentive, right? That's cool. Then we talked about, all right, let's take a look like viewership. What are some of the reasons why the viewership is low? Okay, it could be the game. It could be a number of things. Okay, what is a potential solution? All right, public beta testing. So, so Zan, how exactly would you execute a strategy like this then? Tell, tell me if, if public beta testing is one potential solution, how would you execute that solution? Okay, so I mean, I'm a competitor. So what I want is a highly competitive environment to push me and my team to its limits to try to creatively come up with solutions like the best deck possible. So what I would do is I would try to recreate the most competitive environment I can think of. So what I would do is I would hire 24 testers and then make uh, groups of three and they would play out for eight weeks and then we Watsi would track the data and reward the highest win percentage with money or whatever incentivizes these players to play as hard as they possibly can. And then, you, you know what would be cool? If, like, the top four teams get to be in the next testing block and they get paid to do this, you know? Ooh, okay. All right, yeah. I see what you mean. Like, make it like a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just like so like I could, yeah. So I could likely take like Lotus Box there, right? And then we're we're invited to be part of this testing team, you know, and we help make the game better. Like, can you imagine if the Peach Garden Oath is dead, but like Peach Garden Oath comes in, right? And you knock out Peach Garden Oath, they end up being fifth and they're no longer part of the testing squad. But like something like that. Right? Can you imagine like following that testing? This testing team got knocked out. Like it would build so much curiosity and it would be so good for the game. You know, like at the end of it, what you get is these testing teams coming out with the best decks possible for the format. And either they hit a dead end or they prove that the pool is large enough for you to make this awesome metagame where it changed week by week, right? And part of the rules can be like, let's say by week three, the, the metagame is solved, right? There's only one acceptable choice to play and it's so obvious. Wizards can just change the cards the next week. And part of the game could be like adapting to that or knowing that a change is coming, you know, like Wizards is about to change up some cards because it's so obvious, right? So they're basically in eight weeks, they're testing a span of like six months of actual magic time because nobody's going to be putting that much time. Wait, wait. So just to clarify, you mean like they'll change it up in the testing process, right? Because otherwise it would just kind of be like we're banning a card and boom. Exactly, exactly. They would be changing it up because these cards aren't actually out yet. So they okay, can. Yeah. And that way they're able to get to a point where it's like a healthy metagame. Right. Mm -hmm. And 24 people isn't like overwhelming amount of data that it would be too hard to process. They could literally take the entire week because they would be playing the games on each weekend. Right. They work. Yep. They test Monday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They hash it out. That's where they get their data. And then wizards can have five days to change up the cards and try to try to meet that. Like yeah. there's so many cool ways to do this, but that's, that's one way I would do it. And you could get the community involved in that, right? Like if there's a squad of three people that is better than all of the squad of three people that you have, don't you want that in your testing team? You know, like, yeah. Um, I mean, can you, can you imagine if like the greats, like the hall of famers or just like, if like team Lotus box just like designed an entire set, God, that would be so incredible just like the amount of effort and resources you put into breaking the format rebuilding it breaking it again rebuilding it 
that would be like the kind of magic that I was talking about earlier, right? The kind of magic that just like has depth, inspires me to play, all that sort of stuff. Not this, not this, you know, pay four mana, draw a card, do everything. Okay, dies, do it again. You know, that, that that's motivating for sure. And I mean, like, it might even just be the case that Watsi is already doing this sort of stuff. But if you're doing this, like, why is this not transparent to us? Why are we only seeing all of this stuff like after the fact, after everything's in print and after we've poured our resources into it, you know, after we've taken the hit, like that, that's just kind of like my thought process about it too. So, so I'm just going to say this right now, because I mean, this is like our introduction podcast. This type of talk is going to spill out occasionally. It's just like frustration spilling out where we're just like, we know why it's happening because blank doesn't exist transparency doesn't exist right and if they are doing this then <laughs> why such bad results you yeah. know Th then that means something in the back end needs to change however they're doing it something needs to be upgraded something needs to be swapped out whether it's a you know an individual tester or the process or w whatever it might be just like you know piece of the process sorry something like that so yeah i mean i, I really like this idea and i kind of want to see like it would be what would be really interesting is, is if like well i guess there's no way to actually do it irl but that would be so cool if we could see like this executed strategy actually take place somehow in you know before the next set or something like that right like if uh, final spoiler and the set release it comes out like the week after right like i think okay, it's so like there's very little downtime yeah like I, I feel like the full spoiler happens like on friday and by next wednesday like streamers have early access and then by thursday and friday the sets sets out okay so definitely not enough time to do something like this but it would be really cool if i could actually see it and then like you know just like what, what would it be like you know i'd really like to see that so yeah well essentially it would be like people are playing future site you know what i mean mm. that's something really cool like you know future site is such a cool set right these are cards that we're gonna print in the future you know yeah right so like just doing that would be really 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 cool but yeah i mean the thing tweet this at uh wizards like get wizards attention to listen to this idea because the reason why we're doing this podcast is because we care we care about magic we just want somebody to hear us you know like i mean i got player of the year on the SEG tour in 2019 wizards doesn't really say anything about it or care about it it doesn't matter how many viewers i've been able to get on twitch they haven't cared about it you know like and as a person who's been playing their game for so long and has been a person who's had thousands of views of them playing magic on youtube it makes me sad that they can't hear us and that's why i'm here i want to change that narrative yeah be the change that you want to see i really like that and uh yeah, I, I mean, that that's what the purpose of this podcast is. So we're going to wrap up on that note, uh, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Again, remember, tweet at Team Lotus Box or email us at mtglotusbox at gmail.com. I want to hear what your reactions are to this podcast. Are we just off our knockers? Are we just, you know, spouting a bunch of crap? Or do you think there's a reason in what we're saying? Do you, do you have any ways to build up? Do you have any interesting ideas of your own? Maybe whether it is to, like, increase viewership or to, you know, make better metagames, you know before or you know all this sort of stuff that we're talking about let me know your ideas you know hit us up on social media and then you know the really good ones you bet we'll mention them in the next episode so this is anurag uh, and zan we're gonna check out we'll see you guys next time bye peace